I love hearing stories of the power of the local church and how God can use a, a gathering of people who are passionately following the Lord Jesus Christ and how God can use them to impact people's lives. I saw this firsthand when I was in college. I had the opportunity to meet a young, young guy. His name was Travis. Travis grew up in eastern Kentucky in a broken home. His parents cared more about drugs than they did about him. In the midst of great poverty and destruction all around him, his grandmother saw her grandson, Travis, not doing well. So she took Travis and started taking him to church regularly. She ended up raising him because his parents wouldn't do that. And it was in that church that Travis heard the gospel. He started hearing about Jesus and what he had come to do. Travis turned from his sin, trusted in Christ, and God got a hold of his heart and life. That local church in eastern Kentucky began to disciple him, to teach him the scriptures, to shape his thinking in the way that he lived his life for the glory of Christ. Fast forward to University of Kentucky, where I got a chance to meet Travis, where he did incredibly well in class, got a degree in medicine, graduated, went on to med school. He was offered jobs at some of the top hospitals around the country, making a lot of money. He turned them all down to take a far less paying job back in eastern Kentucky. Going back into the community where it was drug-infested region of Appalachia, and it was there that he wanted to reach people with the gospel. And today, Travis is practicing medicine, loves his wife well, raising his children, serving in his local church, and moving the gospel forward right there in his community. You see, there is power and momentum that takes place when the family and the local church work together for the sake of the gospel. That it was through a grandmother who poured into her grandson and a local church coming alongside that God has done an incredible work. Well, that is precisely what we see happening in Acts chapter 16. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 16. We're going through the book of Acts together as a faith family in a sermon series called Sent. We're looking at the historical narrative written by Dr. Luke as he walks through the story of how the early church was birthed in Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost, and how the gospel is now spreading outward to the ends of the earth. We've already seen back in Acts 13 and 14 where Paul took his first missionary journey alongside Barnabas. They planted churches and the gospel has has gone forth. They returned back to their sending church at Antioch, where they were preaching and teaching the gospel, ministering the word. And then a, a big division took place within the church. The question was, is salvation Jesus plus works? Is it Jesus plus circumcision? Is it Jesus plus obedience to the law? Well, Paul and Barnabas head to Jerusalem. We see in Acts 15, the Jerusalem council meets and they settle the issue that indeed the gospel is the good news that salvation is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. It is not Jesus plus works. It is not Jesus plus religious actions. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It is just Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
Paul and Barnabas return back to Antioch, and it is there we see where they have a desire to see the gospel go forth at the end of Acts 15 and to return back to the churches that they planted on their first missionary journey. But we see a conflict that arises between Paul and Barnabas because Barnabas would like to bring alongside with him and Paul his cousin, John Mark. We looked last time at the, this conflict that took place between Paul and Barnabas, and we see where eventually they split ways. Barnabas took John Mark. They set sail to Cyprus. Uh, the apostle Paul takes Silas. He heads north by land and then heads west and is now going in the opposite direction of where he planted churches on the way in on the first missionary journey. He's starting where he ended. And this is where we begin to pick up in Acts 16 as Paul is traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. He eventually gets to Derby and Lystra. And that's where we pick up in Acts 16, beginning with verse 1, and the scripture says this. Paul went on to Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Now, if you'll remember, the last time that Paul was in Lystra and Derby, he was stoned and left for dead outside of the city. Now he returns on his second missionary journey, seeking to strengthen the church that he planted and to give them the good news of the decision of the Jerusalem council, that the gospel is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's not Jesus plus good works. Paul recognizes within this church a young leader, a young man named Timothy. And he sees within this young man potential of a guy who could reach a lot of people with the gospel. This morning, I want you to notice in the text how discipleship and evangelism can take place through gospel-centered community to fulfill the Great Commission. Let's start with discipleship. I want you to see first in the text the partnership between the family and the local church is essential to the mission. And we see here in Acts chapter 16 that Luke introduces this young man named Timothy into the narrative. This young man is going to play a significant role in the early church. We're given uh, Timothy's family background here in verse 1. His mom is a Jewish believer who has come to faith in Christ. We believe that it was on Paul's first missionary journey that is there that Timothy and his mom heard the gospel through Paul and they believed. Unfortunately, we see that his dad was Greek. He probably was not a believer. He was not a follower of Jesus. In fact, we see later on in Paul's second letter to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul points to his mother and his grandmother as the matriarchs of his faith. Paul writes, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. Paul is highlighting how it was his mother and his grandmother who were the greatest spiritual influences on young Timothy's life. In fact, we see where Paul was admonishing Timothy to hold fast to the scriptures that he had heard from them since he was a little baby. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That indeed from infancy, when he was a baby, he was hearing the stories from his mother and his grandmother, the good news of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The stories of David, Jonah, and Moses. These great historical leaders of the scriptures and how they were pointing forward to a future Messiah who would come. It was Timothy's mom and granny who had the greatest influence on his spiritual growth and maturity. And may I say to you, how encouraging to you. If you're here today or you're engaging with us online and you're a single mom, And right now you feel the burden of raising your kids and discipling your kids on your own. Do not underestimate the influence and the impact that you can have on a future generation. Maybe you have children and you're not married. Or maybe you're married, but your husband's not a believer in the case of Timothy or his mom and his dad. Or or maybe uh, you're married, but your husband's a believer, but he's being disobedient. He's not leading. He's not loving. He's not shepherding your children towards Jesus. May I say to you, do not lose heart. What we see in Timothy is the power and the influence of a mom and a grandmother who are pouring themselves out for the sake of Timothy. They're teaching him the scriptures from infancy. They're pouring into his life. Little did they know that when he was knee high to a grasshopper, that one day he would become a pastor of Ephesus. He would become a missionary companion of the Apostle Paul. That indeed letters would be written with his name on it on the eternal word of God. You have no idea, moms, the impact that you can have on your children and grandchildren. And what a word for you grandparents. Leverage your influence. Teach your grandchildren the scriptures. Point them to Christ and the gospel. Because that's what we see happening here in the text. Is we see a mother who is investing in her son. A grandmother who's investing in her grandson. But we also see in the text a partnership that takes place between the family and the church. Look at verse 2. We see right there in Lystra and Derby. we see... Verse 2, where did it go? I had it right here. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. They spoke highly of him. This church knew Timothy. They knew him. They could speak well of his character because he wasn't an anonymous kid, an anonymous teenager, an anonymous young man. They knew his life. He was regularly involved in the life rhythm and culture of the church there in Lystra. What we see here is a young man who is known. Question, are you known in your local church? Are you known? There's a temptation in our culture for some to show up on a Sunday morning to praise Jesus, to study His Word, and then go home. And completely miss relationships, community slowing down the the fast-paced rhythm of our lives and really pouring into relationships. You say, I've said this before, you were not made for pixels, you were made for people. And so it means putting your phone down and engaging in conversation, speaking with people, 
instead of rushing out of here, which by the way, I'm kind of thankful for this road construction because you ain't going anywhere fast today. (laughs) By the way, thank you for your grace and patience. Thank you. But there's a sense in which we are so busy that we can miss community. We can miss the people who are right here in our lives. This church knew Timothy. They spoke highly of his character because they knew him because he was invested in the church. So, Kenneth, how can I do that? I want to lay before you three ways that you can become more invested and growing in community. Let me give you the first one. It's this. It's be intentional. You got to be intentional. Listen to how Paul describes Timothy to the church at Philippi. Paul says, now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Paul tells the church at Philippi, you know Timothy, you've known him, you've seen his life, you've seen his character. Question, how did they know Timothy? How is that possible? Well, it's because he shared his life with them. He was intentional in engaging with the people there within the church. You see, being in community necessitates, it requires intentionality. That you pursue relationships with other believers. Can I say to you, Westwood, one of the reasons we're such an amazing church is we have such amazing people. And if you've not had the chance to get to know people, oh, I, I, I wish you could get to know the people around you. They're amazing people who love Jesus, and we're growing together. We're an imperfect people. I'm an imperfect pastor, but we serve a perfect Savior. We're passionately pursuing the one who has rescued us, and you get to know one another. This past Wednesday night, it was awesome. We had a cookout, and it was a sweet picture of the church. We had deacons and their wives who were cooking and grilling, and they were providing food, and there were kids playing on the playground, and teenagers playing lawn games or frisbees and footballs flying everywhere, and a bunch of adults walking around, talking and intermingling, laughing, cutting up, introducing themselves, new people. It was just a sweet picture to behold. And there's a family that's somewhat new to our church. They've been here the last two weeks. And they walked by me and they, they, they approached me and they just said, Pastor, we want you to know you have a real church. And that was one of the best compliments I could ever receive because we looked across the landscape of a sea of people who were just connecting, building relationships, intentionally connecting with one another. And I thought, man, yes, this is what a picture of a New Testament church is. People who love Jesus and who love one another. That we are a people who have been purchased by the blood of Christ and we are eager to get to know one another because we are now in a new community. That we who once were outsiders are now insiders. Kenneth, what are you talking about? You see, there was a time in which you and I, we were outside of the family of God. We did not know Jesus. We were living in sin, living for self, pursuing our own desires. But God in Christ pursued us, that we who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And now we are former outsiders who are now insiders. And we get to go to outsiders and invite them to become insiders. Say, listen, you too can get in on this. The gospel is open to everybody. 
Anybody who turns from sin and self and trusts in the Savior, that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, came and gave His life at Calvary. He died on the cross, gave His life, His blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And those who trust in Him by faith, not only are you reconciled to God by faith in Jesus Christ, but God then brings you into a community with other believers. We see this in, oh, good grief, 1 Peter chapter 2, where it says that you are a, come on, Bruce, where is it? You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. He who has rescued you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We're a people. You see, Jesus purchased you with his precious blood so that you might connect with others who also have been purchased with blood. That we are a like-minded people. Our hearts and lives have been changed by Jesus. And though none of us have have achieved uh, perfection yet, we will at the resurrection. But as we pursue Jesus, as we're going after him together, we are a people who are in desperate need of Christ and we do it together. We pursue Christ together, but it requires intentionality. You have to be willing to be intentional in pursuing that. Now, can I just say, can I speak to the adults in the room for just a moment? When you become an adult, it becomes really difficult to keep, maintain, or even make new friends. It's hard. You're so busy. You're caught up in your ways. You have your rhythm. You like things the way you like it. And friendships really seem to mess up that rhythm. But you got to have them. That God knows that you need people in your life who will encourage you and challenge you and pray for you. This is why when David Peacock was up here, we're challenging people to get in small groups because it matters. For your growth in the gospel, having people in your life who are not impressed by you. People who will love you and encourage you and pray for you and champion you. Gathering a community where you eat food together and you laugh together and you make fun of one another. Okay, that's not in the New Testament. That's just me. (laughs) But it's a joy to be in community with other people. But you've got to intentionally seek it out. You have to pursue it. Hear me, if you want to mature as a believer in Jesus, you need to surround yourself with people who are more mature than you are. People who encourage you and teach you and model for you the gospel. You see, fellowship is a means of God's grace in your life. And if you want to mature, you've got to have those relationships of other mature believers in the faith. You see, Christ established his church and commands his people to belong to that body, to be a part of the body, to participate in the body through which he gave his life for us. And it is through the body of Christ that our faith is nurtured and fed and we become more and more like Christ, that Jesus purchased not only your sin, but he has made you into a new kind of creature who belongs to a new kind of community. And we are a people who have been purchased by blood, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we lock arms together and we pursue him together. So you've got to be intentional. But secondly, you've got to be relational. You've got to be relational. Meaning, meaningful relationships, they require connection, humility. It means putting your guard down. It's a, there's a sense in which you're saying, listen, I'm, I'm going to put away my pride and I'm going to humble myself and enter into a vulnerable state where I can invite others into my, into my life. 
You need that. I need that in our lives. I was doing premarital counseling with someone a while back in which the future bride shared with me how her parents raised her to never show weakness, uh, that if at any point you, you carry a burden, don't tell anybody because that's unloving and you don't want to put that on someone else. I lovingly corrected her and I said, that's not what the New Testament teaches. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How can you bear someone else's burden when you don't know what it is? You see, being relational means you've got to be transparent, vulnerable, honest. Now, wisdom says you don't share everything with everybody. But there are people in which you invite them into your life to correct you, to encourage you, to to rebuke you, to walk alongside you, to walk with you as you follow hard after the Lord Jesus Christ. The thing, we got to grab hold of, of this. Of the 59 one another commands in the New Testament, you can never obey them alone. Can't. You cannot obey a one another command alone. And unfortunately, within our culture, there are many who have this mindset of, oh, it's just me and Jesus. You're missing the local church. And there's a sense in which if you're running at a pace that's so fast, nobody can keep up with you, maybe you're missing people who are walking slower who need your encouragement. Who you slow down and say, hey, walk with me. And that's what the local church is. The thing that's also concerning to me is of people who are walking away from Jesus, they walked away from the church usually first. Because they get out on an island. They go and do what they want to do. They don't have people who are like, hey man, you're walking in danger. Don't do that. You're walking in foolishness. Hey man, I'm sensing pride in your heart. I love you. Don't go that way. Hey, hey, the way that you're speaking right now, there's things in your life that don't look like Jesus. You need that in your life. And if you are going to be sprinting across the finish line, falling into the arms of Jesus when you take your last breath, you need the local church. You need people who know you and you are known and you are laboring and following hard after Jesus and you're doing it together in community. I've said this before, that if you want to hear well done, good and faithful servant, give your life to other people hearing that and you will hear it too. Give your life so that other people will hear well done, good and faithful servant. And if you do that, you're going to hear it too. And that's a desire I have for me, but I have it for you more. All of us are following Jesus together across the finish line. But we need one another to accomplish that end. So you've got to be intentional. You've got to be relational. You need people in your life who will stoke the fire of the Holy Spirit within you. You kind of spend a couple weeks away from the church. You get away from community. All of a sudden, your faith becomes lukewarm. Don't be surprised. You need people in your life who will challenge you, who know you, who will encourage you and walk with you. Thirdly, you've got to be sacrificial. It takes effort, y'all. It takes effort to live in community. You've got to be willing to sacrifice good things to maintain unity, a uh, community within your life. You've got to sacrifice. 
You've got to be willing, up, willing to give up time on the ball field. You've got to be willing to give up family time. You've got to sacrifice something in order to maintain this kind of community. When I was a student pastor, I would sometimes have a parent come to me and say, hey, my kid's having a really hard time making friends. And I would say, okay, um, Wednesday nights, are they able to come very often? Well, we can't on Wednesday nights. We've got all these things going on. Like, okay. When we have other events going on, are they able to connect? Well, right now, they got a lot of things. We're traveling and moving out. Okay, okay. On Sunday mornings, are they, are they connecting with a group? Well, on Sunday mornings, it's hard for us to get to church. <sighs> I can't help you. You've got to be willing to sacrifice something for the sake of community. Parents, your kid is not going to play pro sports. There is a 100% chance they're going to stand before King Jesus. Let's do everything we can to prepare them for that moment. I say that as a coach who coaches a lot of soccer. But I tell my players, soccer is a great game. It's a terrible God. Let's get our kids ready. But you've got to be willing to sacrifice good things to cultivate community. And if you find your relationships are shallow, it's because your investment is shallow. This is why we need community. You need people in your life who are going to encourage you. Like, man, I love you so much. You're being a bonehead. Don't do that. I am so thankful for people in our church. <laughs> in the previous, after the previous service a few minutes ago, there's a lady in our church who for years has been teaching me, discipling me in so many different ways. And she said, hey, Kenneth, you said something that really wasn't wise. And I was like, man, what a gift from the Lord that she had the courage to come and tell me that. And I received that rebuke. It's an honest answer. It's like a kiss on the lips. What a gift. But she doesn't say that if we don't live in community. And I need that and you need that. And you've got to be willing to sacrifice for it. Well, Kenneth, what kind of sacrifice are you talking about? Well, it's a New Testament kind of sacrifice. Listen to how the Apostle John describes it. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, by this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, watch this, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In light of Christ giving his life for us, volunteering to give his life and die in our place, so too are we ought to do the same for one another. What I'm about to say, I mean it from the bottom of my, of my heart. I would die for you. I would give my life for you. In light of what Jesus has done for me, I am glad to do that for you. And this is a picture of what we are to do together as a faith family. That in light of Christ being willing to give his life for us, we are willing to do the same for one another. Do you have that level of commitment to other brothers and sisters? You see, for many of our brothers and sisters in other countries who don't have the freedom that we have, that verse is a reality. They're willing to lay their lives down for one another, and many of them are. 
But that's the kind of community that we're seeing displayed, modeled, and taught throughout the New Testament. Oh, that we would be this kind of church. You've got to be intentional. You've got to be relational. And you've got to be sacrificial. So we see the picture of discipleship here in Acts 16. Let's look at evangelism. I'm going to go fast. I want you to see the priority of reaching people with the gospel. It's essential to the mission. Seeing Timothy and hearing the church at Lystra testify to his character, Paul wanted this young man to accompany him and Silas on their missionary journey. Okay, This now multiplies the mission of the gospel. They're bringing along this young man. Paul gets to teach him, show him the ropes. Hey, man, here's how you preach the gospel. Here's how you make disciples. Here's how you plant a church. Here's how you train elders and pastors. Like Paul's like, man, Timothy, you come with me. And we see this decades, decades of, of ministry and partnership in the gospel. But then we see that before Timothy can join the team, he's going to have to be circumcised. Talk about irony of ironies. Okay. Timothy would have to be circumcised so that he could go around and tell people they don't have to be circumcised. <laughs> right? Why does Paul do this? Is Paul being hypocritical? No, because the purpose of the circumcision is not salvation, but mission. He knows that if we're going to reach Jews with the gospel, Timothy, you have to be circumcised. So in order for us to reach people with the gospel, Timothy, you're going to have to go through a painful outpatient procedure. You see, for the sake of the gospel, Paul wanted as many people as possible to believe the gospel, but he also wanted to remove any stumbling block that would keep people from trusting in Christ. You see, Paul circumcised Timothy not for salvation, but for the sake of the mission. He says in Galatians 6.15, for both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. Paul was all about the gospel, and Jesus is the one who saves, and it's the gospel that makes us new creations. So he's preparing Timothy for the mission field. And the Jews will not listen to you, Timothy, if you're not willing to do this. So Timothy goes through the process here. This is the heartbeat of Paul. Listen to how he describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people, so that by all Paul means possible, I might save some. And I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. You see, being missionally sensitive means adapting preference for purpose. You're willing to forego freedom that you're able to enjoy. You're willing to forego your rights so that you might reach people with the gospel without compromising scripture. A friend of mine uh, was serving on the mission field over in Africa reaching Muslims. And, and I saw him one time and he had this big robust beard. Okay. It was, it was very impressive. And it had a long, long, long goatee. And you could and, and, I, and I said, hey, man, that's, that's awesome. How did you do that? Because I can't do it. My wife says no, but I also physically can't do it. 
And he said, well, the reason I did it is because in the Muslim culture, if you're able to grab the goatee, any hair hanging out the bottom, that's a sign of wisdom. He said, so this gave me an in with the gospel to try and reach people for Jesus. I was in East Wittini, Africa several years ago, and in that culture, it is extremely offensive to eat with your left hand. And there's a whole reason behind it. I'm not going to unpack that now. So whenever I would eat, I would put my hand in my pocket to make sure I did not touch the food. Why? For the sake of the gospel. We've got to be willing to do whatever it takes within the bounds of Scripture to reach people with the gospel. Can I hold up an, a mirror to you people from Alabama? I've lived here for almost 12 years. I'm from Kentucky originally. But there's a reason when we have our gatherings, I never joke about Alabama football or Auburn football. Because <laughs> if I did, it would be a stumbling block to someone believing the gospel. And we gather around something that's far more important than championships and wins and losses. We rally around the King of Kings and who he is and what he's done for us. You see, there's a sense in which if there's a stumbling block that prevents someone from hearing the gospel within the bounds of Scripture, man, remove that thing out of the way so that we might preach Christ. So Kenneth, what are you calling us to? It's this. It's the impact point. Impact point is this. Give your life to connecting with Christ's church. Give your life to connecting with Christ's church. Did you see what happened with Paul, Silas, and Timothy as they traveled around? We see it, verse, verse, verse five. Churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Discipleship and evangelism, both are taking place. There's dangers when churches emphasize one over the other. It's both. They're two sides of the same coin. Healthy churches grow in evangelism and discipleship. Churches grow outward and upward. Churches have baby Christians who are taking their first steps and mature believers who are running at a fast pace. Healthy churches have a sense of people who are growing passionately for the Lord Jesus Christ and some who are just learning how to pray. You see, healthy churches love reaching lost people and studying sound doctrine. Healthy churches put their arms around a scared little boy who's growing up in a drug-infested home. And they walk alongside him. And they pray for him. And they encourage him. And they share the gospel with him. And they disciple him. And they shape his thinking. And you have no idea what kind of man he's going to become, a man who's going to change the world. And that's what you and I do. We are a church of people who have been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. And together, we're passionately pursuing him, imperfectly together. But we're going after Christ because we are a people who have been changed by the gospel. Because it's the gospel that changed Travis's life. It's the gospel that changed my life. And it's the gospel that changed your life. And it's the gospel that changed Timothy's life. And now, together, we're following hard after the Lord Jesus Christ.